This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Trust and Believe today. I am coming to you from Seattle. Um, I'm in a bathroom right now because there's construction outside, and I didn't want to have too much extra sound, bad sound quality while I recorded this podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to you about... uh, Uh, a very pretty emotional and touchy subject that I never really talk about um, as a fitness guru, if you will. And I don't necessarily like the title fitness guru, so I'll say fitness motivator. For so many years, I stepped in a group exercise room and really inspired and motivated people through movement and my voice to... Um, to lift them up, to say, hey, you want to be healthier, you want to push harder, you need extra motivation, great. That's what I know how to do. That's what I was trained to do. That's what I educated myself to do. Uh, I lived in many different countries on many different continents in many different cities with many different types of people. And Whenever I walked into a room, I've never once said, I wonder how many white people are in here. I wonder how many black people are in here. I wonder how many Turkish people are in here. Even when I was in Turkey, I didn't count the amount of Americans that were in the room. And so when all of this, uh, this, uh, I don't even know what to call it. When all of this this uh, pain hit America in the last couple of weeks um, regarding the George Floyd murder, a lot of internal feelings started to just fill up in my gut, in my core. And I want to talk to you today about how black people are like volcanoes waiting to erupt. I think that this is going to help you understand the protest. If you're someone out there who don't understand protests, understand the anger, the sadness, the pain, the 
uh, the emotion, the different levels of emotion, the different opinions and feelings that black people have as we go through this terrible time. So I, like always, I tell you to take notes. And today, I not only want you to take notes, but I want you to share these notes that you take or share this episode with everyone you know, black people included, because I think it'll make them feel better and maybe help them understand a little more where their pain comes from. And definitely your white friends, your white family members, especially those who don't quite understand why we are so passionate about Black Lives Matter and why All Lives Matter is not the message. We already know that all lives matter. Black people already know that all lives matter. I walk outside every day and realize and live in a space where I want to treat everyone equally. But like you've probably seen on social media, and I think it was a really great um, analogy. If you go into a neighborhood and one house is on fire and you call the fire department, you don't want them to come inside your house spraying water in your home on your furniture that isn't on fire, that is doing really well. You call the fire department to put out the fire of the family that is going through the pain. You put out the fire of the family that is losing their home. You put out the fire of the family that you want to help and inspire and motivate. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we want to take care of our neighborhood in general. But when there is a house on fire and no one wants to acknowledge that the house is on fire, that's where the pain begins. And that's why we say Black Lives Matter too, even if you're someone who still doesn't understand the analogy. So I want to actually take you back to my childhood for a second. And this happens in so many Black people's homes, Black family homes. What you have to understand is that what we're seeing in the George Floyd case is not something that we are only reacting to because it's happening right now. This is something that we're reacting to because our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and our parents have been through this same thing. And our ancestors have been through things that are even worse. So when we look at what's happening right now, and I'm going to actually explain to you what I saw when I saw the George Floyd video. What we see is not what's happening right now. We see years, hundreds of years of pain and what our families have been through. Years ago, when I was a very young kid, I remember sitting at the dinner table because that's where my family had most of the conversations at my grandparents' house. And my grandmother and my grandfather, who were born in 1916 and 1918, used to tell us stories of how they were treated negatively for being black. They had to use a different water fountain. They had to use a different bathroom. They had to go to a different school. They had to except being treated less than purely because the color of their skin. They had to accept 
not being able to play sports because of the color of their skin. And if you look at a lot of sports today, a lot of sports are make, making money off of black people, black athletes. Yes, there are a lot of amazing other athletes out there. And I'm only bringing a point to that because I don't, I don't want to not acknowledge other races because I'm about ending racism everywhere. But if you look back, my grandfather was a championship. Are you ready for this? A championship marble player. He, he won marble championships. And a lot of you guys have never probably even heard of that. And so when he used to tell me these stories that he was a, a championship playing marbles, a champion boxer, uh, and he had connections. And I believe that he um, just had a lot of different connections with a lot of older and ancestors, ancestor black boxers. And to know that the area in which he lived in, which is Camden, New Jersey, was so segregated and he had to play sports and become a champion, but only become a champion amongst his race. And again, I, I, I go to say, and I look today that we're all on the field and we're all on the court and we're all on the track and we're all in the ring. And there are different races coming together, but you always see a lot of black people. But years ago, they weren't allowed to be in this in this arena, if you will. And even today, we're treated less than. But a lot of the people that are making the money and bringing in the ticket sales are black people. And so when I come when I combined with my grandfather used to talk to me about about how he couldn't really extend his athletic abilities because of his skin color. And then today, a lot of our athletes are making money because, I don't want to say because of their skin color, but a lot of our athletes are black and helping make money. It can't, that's the first thing that makes you like, you know, it's just another story we heard when we were kids. And combined with the story of like I spoke about before, where we weren't able to use, they weren't able to use the bathrooms. They had to go to a different school. They had to use the different water fountains. This is what most of you, if not all of you, have seen in the footage of the segregation years and years ago. And so that's the first thing. My grandmother talked about how, you know, she had to be silent when she was around white people. Women couldn't vote. Black women were definitely looked down upon. Couldn't get a credit card. So I want you to understand that. And like when I talk about a volcano, at the depths of my soul, as a young kid, I heard about my grandparents who I looked up to and I loved. And my grandfather was a pastor and completely changed my life and saved me from being molested for even more years. Like, literally saved my life. This human, who is a great human, and my grandmother is a great human, and accepted even when white people walked to the doorstep of our church, weren't treated as humans because of the color of their skin. This, I'm learning about this as a kid. Then I go to a story that my mom told me when she was younger, who 
she was chased by the Ku Klux Klan in her own neighborhood. A place where, a street where I used to drive. She was just walking down the street in our neighborhood with her friend and they got chased. I want you to think about that. These are stories that I hear. So now I have my grandparents and my mother telling me these stories and telling us, hey, you have to leave this house acting right. Not you have to leave this house and be and show your culture. You don't have to leave this house and show, uh, you know, celebrate your ethnicity, celebrate your culture. You leave this house and act right. And leaving this house and acting right is acting right for white people. So when I leave the house as a young kid, I have to suppress the things that I'm learning in my house, the culture that I'm having in my house. Right. As a young kid, I remember going to school and being in third grade and hearing and and going out to I think it was gym class and hearing a white person say we were trying to figure out how to divvy up the teams. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, I was picked first in, in kickball and I was picked last. Well, you know what? When I was in third in third grade, there was a white kid that was like, how about we just do blacks against whites? Because he heard that in his home. So we start hearing these things as, as young children. So what happens? We then take what our parents teach us and what our parents told us and say, you have to be, you have to go out here and you have to act right, right? Now, now mind you, there, and I want to say this, there might be parents now that don't do that. You might be like, I teach my kids to go out and be, you know, be black and show their culture. But I'm talking about people who were born in 1916 and 1918 and their entire childhood was, in order to succeed in the world, you had to be of a certain way. And so when I'm in school and I go to the lunchroom, you know, you do. And a lot of you who are 42 or maybe a little bit younger and plus, you know, a lot of black people were sitting at the table together and people would be like, why the black people so loud? Because you know what? That's how we are in our house. Black people are loud. It's part of our culture. It's we you if you you can even look at our our history. We sing, we dance. Have you ever been to Africa, South Africa? Have you ever been anywhere outside of the United States where you actually engulf yourself in black culture and black people? I remember going to Durban for the Essence Festival and there were 6 to 800 black people that showed up for my exercise class. I was so overwhelmed because they showed up and just embracing the movement. It's our culture to celebrate, to laugh, to sing, to be loud, to tell jokes, to get super, super excited about life. And that's what we did at home. And so when we go to school and then we hear blacks against whites and then we go to the, to the lunchroom and we are like, okay, we're going to sit together. And then we're sitting together. And then, you know, people are like, quiet down. It's like, how about you come find out why we're loud and why we're laughing? Because we are taught to leave the house and suppress who we are as a culture. This is my experience. There might be some people that agree, black people that agree, and some black people that disagree. But this is my experience, and I can talk to you about a lot of people in my school and where I grew up the same. I also grew up in, in high school. I had... T- 
all different types of friends. I'm, I'm not of a person that can count white friends or black friends on your hands. Like, that's not me. Like, I'm a person that I had friends. But even as multicultural and diverse in my mind as I was, and a leader even in my high school, we still had race riots in my high school. We still had sit-ins in my high school. This is 1992 to 1996, y'all. Now... When you take what my grandparents told me, what my mom has been through, and then I still have been through it, I now am like, I'm going to go to college and I have to be of a certain way. I have to leave the house and act a certain way. I have to smile when I walk into the, to the store. Because when I, walk into a sto- when I walk into the mall as a 16-year-old teenager or 17-year-old when I got my license, it wasn't like... And, and, and y'all know I love everybody, but there could be a cluster of young white kids running through the mall, being excited and being loud. When we were in the mall, if I went with some black friends of mine and we were walking through the mall, the security was like, you got to calm down. The white people could have been laughing the same volume, but they came up to the black because we had to calm down. Because... We didn't have the newer clothes. We had the scruffy clothes. We have different hair. We have like, do you understand what I'm saying? So we have to, we can't be us, but because another race is doing the same thing, they just look differently, they're treated differently. Anyway, I say all that to say because I think it's very important that you know where I'm about to go, where I talk about my experience that I had when I left the house on Friday to travel to Seattle with my family. So I posted about the George Floyd uh, murder when I saw it. And then the next morning, I was really, really compelled to show a video of how Scott and I get our boys ready in the morning. And I put the camera up. But that was like literally how, that's literally how we get dressed and how we get ready every morning. We read a book, we get dressed, one of the kids helps us out if they're not screaming, of course. And, you know, we, we just like teach them how to be good humans every single day. It's something we do every single day. We learn a lesson every single morning. And so, you know, I felt really good, but when we left the house and we got on the road, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I have my road trip, my family road trip, episode one, and um, the the future episodes will be up there soon, for our road trip to Seattle. And I was the first one to drive. Now, when I got in the car, I was okay. Uh, But when we got to the first rest stop that was outside of our city, if you will, and we started getting into parts of the country that were uh, just very rural, and we got to our first gas station, and I was like, I need... You know, I told my friend, Dr. Lauren Fitzgerald, I was going to fast all day, but I was driving and I needed some, I needed some good fats. So I think I got pistachio nuts or, nuts or something. But before I got out of the car, I was like, okay, put your mask on. And Sandra was like, Papa, can I go in the store with you? And I immediately got super tight in the neck because I'm like, I can handle myself if... One of these white people in this per- certain part of the country uh, would look at me weird or act weird toward me. But now my kid wants to go in. And then it became very, it just, be- like, it just became very scary. Uh, 
And so I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, so I made him put on a mask. And then I was like, I need to put on my hat because if I put on my hat, they won't see my hair as much. And I have a kid and it's a way to ease any tension that people have about black people. And so I walk out and, you know, I walk, we go in the store and I walk out the store and I'm just like, ah, that is like walking into the store is like, you kind of feel nervous and you're like, I don't want to face the wrong way. So, you know, I made it through that. Then I started driving and then I saw like my cruise control is on the speed limit. And so I still see a cop down the hill and I immediately slam on the brakes. Now here's something about driving while black and just hit putting you into my mindset that you may not understand. Driving while black, like a lot of people are like, I don't want to get stopped because I want to get, I don't want to get a ticket. I don't want to get stopped because I don't want to have my insurance go up or I want to get points on my license. Me, I don't want to get stopped because it's a strong possibility that I would die. This is how our brain thinks. Have you not seen some of the videos, even in the past where there was a man and his girlfriend or a woman, I mean, a man and his wife with their kid in the back and the police officer was like, give me your license or I can't remember exact video, but I think he went to go get his license and he went to get his license and the cop shot him in front of his kid, in front of his girlfriend or wife. I can't remember. And when a black person sees that you're like, so if I go to reach for my license because I'm black, because he is afraid because I'm black, then I'm going to get shot. So now I'm like, fuck, my license is in my bag. I'm going to have to bend down if I were to get stopped. How am I going to do this before he even gets to the car? So for me, I'm like, I'm going to have the insurance or maybe I'll have Scott's dad sit up in front so they see a white person. These are all the things that happen when I see a cop car and I'm actually following the rules. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Um so these were just a lot of things and then I we go to a rest stop and there's a playground and I'm watching my boys play and Scott's mom is there and Scott is there and Silas is there and Sanders there. And, I, you know, cars are pulling up and I'm like, I need to face the other way. So then I walk on the other side of the, the playground and I turn because I'm like, as a black man, when I go into a restaurant, I'm like, I want I like facing the door as much as possible. If I'm in an open place, I like turning. If I'm in an open place in a place in the country where I don't know what it is, I turn around. Now, mind you, I've I've even I've never even told a lot of my friends this y'all because there's a fear of them not even understanding or thinking you're overreacting and it's just like it's just so wild and crazy that that everything that I was telling you that I just told you about how I act when I'm driving and driving through our country is it's now as I was going through this trip it's at the front of my mind before it was just second nature. I didn't think about it. It was embedded in me and like, this is how you have to act. 
again, and I don't know if I said this, even down to when I go to the mall, I used to go to the mall, to Neiman Marcus, to Nordstrom's, to Nordstrom. Uh, when I started going to like, when I started loving shoes and shopping in, you know, more expensive stores, if you will, uh, I would just wear what I have on now. Like, I mean, I wouldn't even actually wear these, but I would wear like sweats. I would wear my flip-flops. I would wear my socks. I would just, I wouldn't do, I would usually have a bald head, but I wouldn't do my hair. I'm just like, boom. And so I realized like every time I go in a store, like I can't be three to five seconds in the store. And I'm, it's not the hello that you get in the store. It's literally, what can I help you with? What are you looking for? Whatever. And I could be walking in next to a white person and they say hi to them. Let us know if you need anything. But me, it's like they're following me around, right? So this has happened like forever. So then I was like, okay, I need to go to the store dressed in. I was like, I'm going to the store like I'm dressed to go out. So then I would wear really my expensive clothes to go to the store to buy, you know, to my more to buy my shoes because y'all know I love my shoes or like a pair of jeans. And I did it. I still got a little followed, but let me tell you what I got. Got the look. They see the David Yearman chain. When I got married, they see the ring. They see the type of shoes that I'm wearing. And it is a complete, it is more, it's, they let you look around and they're like, instead of saying, can I help you with something? They look at your clothes and then they're like, oh, well, we have these. And then they start showing you the three, dollars $400, $500 jackets. Right. Instead of like, can I help you? What are you looking for? Or, you know, it, you'll never understand if you're not a per if you this has never happened to you. And so for me, that's why I love shopping in New York City. And I love shopping in New York City at the Nordstrom's men's because I have a, uh, a stylist there. And it's, it's I love shopping in urban areas because it's, you know, they have more black salespeople. And it's it's really you feel more welcomed. And I know it sounds crazy, but listen, y'all, this happens. And you will never understand what it feels like if you were never black. You can, you can understand and say, okay, wow, like I get that. But the feeling of the suppression of that volcano that I was talking about earlier is now, it, it's, it's building, right? As I'm going through the country and I'm thinking of all these things and I'm stopping at stores and, you know, I don't like to get political, but when you walk in a store and you see a bunch of, you know, make America great again hats as a black man, like you can be a little nervous because you just you don't know why they want to make America great again. Right. Um, but anyway, so now I'm going to cut to uh, where it really got emotional for me. I've shed so many tears. So I don't even know if I have the emotion left, but who knows? Um so my family got to our second rest stop and uh that morning i had in a first at the end of the first rest stop oh i have to tell you this i had posted about um just how i was feeling and i woke up just in a really weird place and i was like i got to get this out before my kids get up and so you know, I wrote this post or whatever. And then so I go outside. And so at this particular RV stop, I 
go outside and there's a woman like doing a speed walking like whatever and I'm like right away like I know she's nervous now I know a lot of people get nervous anyway women when they're running outside at dusk by themselves like I get it but I went out of my way to be like hi how are you I hope you're having a great day she looked at me and literally darted between some RVs now some of you guys were like really absolutely like but again it was the morning you know my hair was looking crazy like anybody i'm walking with my towel and my bag to go rinse my mouth out and brush my teeth and do the whole thing and i was just like i just made that post about how i'm feeling in america and that happens and i was like overly friendly now again i'm also i'm like a very level-headed person and i'm like yo maybe she you know, it's it's early in the morning. I'm a big guy. You know, she's a smaller lady. Cool, like, I get it. But if I was Scott, like, a handsome, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white guy, she would have she kept on going by. So anyway, um, we get to our second rest stop, and I was like, I want to bring this up to my family. I want to talk to them about this. But the thing that I did was I went to talk to my family about this while the volcano was already ready to erupt. And I had been thinking, I had been sitting on this. They had no idea what I was going through. I think Scott's dad had seen my post and Scott had just seen it. And I'm immediately like, I go into this conversation angry. But I'm outwardly calm. And then so I start the conversation and I talk to Scott's mom and she actually starts crying. She she just doesn't understand it. And uh, maybe I'll put the clip in in my YouTube uh, video link of when this conversation started. So Scott's mom started talking and Scott's dad started talking about it. And in the conversation, it was like extremely like. Like, no one was mad, but everyone was just at a heightened state of, like, trying to understand why this is happening. And you could see the tension. You can feel the tension in everybody. Scott, his mom and dad. And our kids, I believe it was Sander, was like, stop talking. He was playing with his brother, and then he just came over. And whoever was talking, he would be like, stop talking. I think it was Sander. And they started to feel this angst. And then so... You know, I stood up and then I was just like, the way I was talking to my family was like, you guys should know this, you should understand, you should get this. And the way I started talking to Scott, it was very aggressive in making him want to understand where I was coming from when the three of them, while they never lived it, they are completely against anything inequality. They are actively against racism. But because of the pain that was in my soul and the the anger that I felt and y'all like it just was so bad. Like, you know, I ended up like yelling at them being like because Scott's mom and dad wanted to leave the RV because me and Scott were in, a, in an argument. And, you know, I just was like, you guys want to leave because you don't want you don't want to hear black people. And I know it wasn't that for them. But for me, that's what I was feeling. And at that point is when I just like, it was just so much. It was so much. And then, you know, 
I don't know if I cursed, but I like left and like my kids were there and they were there and I just went out into the field and I watched a Trevor Noah. I started thinking and then I watched a Trevor Noah video that he made and I was laying there and I just like did not want to go back. I was like extremely embarrassed about just letting that out. But then I was toying with the fact of like, should I be embarrassed or should I just not be embarrassed and, and understand why you're actually feeling this way? And I realized that I was feeling this way because of what I talked about before. Like this is a this is generations of pain that we as black people have feel and understand in our home. And so, you know, I was I went to go back to the RV and I think Scott and I had a conversation first that didn't go really well. And I was like, I need to go in the RV to like, think my kids were being crazy. And I was like felt feeling bad that the grandparents were having to take over. And I had left and I walked into the RV and Scott's dad just like hugged me. And that was and just like a really solid hug. Like it was a really solid like I stand with you hug. And that's when I really lost it. And, uh, you know, I took care of my kids and I went to the bathroom. And that's when I took that selfie because that was my, my highest emotion, understanding that my family did have my back. And that's why in that first post, you know, I realized, you know, just from having a lot of friends or whatever, like not, not all white people are racist. Not all white people are bad, if you will. And so... Um, you know, that's kind of like my story and how I process it. And I don't want to uh, like continue to harp on the situation. But I do want to say, uh, as I close this out, is if you have a black friend and you don't understand what they're going through, uh, you should call them and you should let them vent. You should let them get out that volcanic energy to help them understand where black people come from why you are there your story may be different than me but all of black all of our stories are very very similar we're it's very similar in how we're treated and how we don't want to be treated um just even though even scott, one of scott's friends um sent him a message about my post and his friend was driving across country from Vegas to Florida, he's a black man by himself. And he was like, tell Sean, like, this is exactly how, you know, I've been, I was feeling. And his, before he went to drive across country and his mom was like, you know, I really should go with you because, you know, it's not safe to be out there on the road driving across country as a black man. And it kind of validated my feelings. Um, and so, you know, for me... I have plenty of black friends, I have plenty of white friends, I have Asian friends, I have all kinds of friends. You know, the man who edits this, the sound of this podcast, I call him my soul brother. I don't call him my soul brother because he's black or white. I call him my soul brother because of a connection. The other part of my podcast scene, you guys know Alex and you may know Steve, her husband, or her fiance. Um, you know, I'm officiating their wedding. But I don't think, they don't look at me like there's a black man officiating their wedding or vice versa. Um, I officiated Darren and Danielle's wedding, who was white. I have a really close friend who worked for us for many years that Scott introduced me to, 
Her name was Steph. She's black. Really close friend. Another person who works with us, Erica, black. And so it, what's, the reason why I'm saying all that is because it's amazing how you can go through life and go through these relationships and a lot of your friends don't really know what's going on in the depths of your core. And then, you know, there are friends like Steph who sent me a message that one of the evenings where I was driving and like I can just tell she got it. And Erica and I had actually had a conversation the day before I left that actually, I think, relieved some of my tension. And that's why I say if you have a black friend, like you should actually like let them talk, let them get it out, learn, understand, ask them questions. Be like, what was it like growing up for you? Um, Because I think that. There are a lot of resources, TV shows, documentaries, um, articles. You can actually look at an article on shantylife.com, you know, and we'll put a list of things you can watch in, in, in the notes of this podcast. But um, I think by just understanding you as a black person and you as another race, especially in my opinion, white People, because I don't know how what your generations and were like growing up and what you learned about black people. But for those of you who had families who were afraid or, you know, bigots or racist, I think it's important that you watch these shows and talk to black people so you understand where we come from. And that is you doing your job to end racism, become an activist against it. Um, all lives matter don't work in this situation because black people are the ones in pain right now if we went through a situation where asian people in our country were being you know it was happening the same thing we know black lives matter but if this like if asians or latinos or something happened like we and we we would get behind a movement as black people be like latino lives matter because right now If we don't change what's happening in this country, if people don't start to educate themselves about black people, if you don't start to educate yourself about what black people can do for you and help you in their culture, if you don't do that, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're not bringing the country together. Like we are the United States and we need to become that true melting pot that we say we are and the way you were able to, the way we're going to be able to come that true melting pot is by learning and understanding about the race that we're afraid of. You don't have to be afraid. Just like everywhere in the world, like there are a lot of people who are crazy, white, black, Latin, Asian, every type of person has bad people. But black people as a whole are amazing people with an amazing culture. And hopefully you get to go to a Sunday dinner at a black family's house. Maybe if you're somewhat religious and you've never been to a Baptist church when the pandemic um, releases, go to a Baptist church, know how they celebrate, uh, not just the service, but go into the basement of the church for a lot of places and, 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 and break bread with them, understand the culture. I think if we are able to come together as people to understand what the culture is like and hear stories and understand our education and how we were raised, you 
would be floored. You would be interested. I mean, I learn, I try to learn about my Italian friends and my British friends and my French friends. And every time I hear about a new culture, I get really excited. I want to learn about it. I want to learn a language. I want to engulf myself in the world of them. I have Pakistani friends that invited us to their house one time. I think I may have spoke, talked about this before. And I went to their house and you know, the men were praying downstairs, you know, because the Muslims, how they pray. And, uh. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. They didn't make us go down there, but they let us go down there and see like what it is like while they pray. The food, we learned to eat with our hands. And we went into this being like, what is this experience going to be like? We left that experience saying, I cannot wait to enjoy and break bread with that culture again. And I know, I know if you go into a black community and you have the opportunity to go to sit down and eat with a black family that has multi-generations, you are going to leave feeling fulfilled, thrilled, and with an enhanced love of black people. And you will be able to uh, be an activist against racism. And that's how you'll really understand why we say black lives matter. And I'll leave you with this. The reason why I have this podcast called called Trust and Believe, the reason why I have this podcast called Trust and Believe is not just about fitness. It really is about life. And when it comes to life, it really is about all people just loving and appreciating each other and lifting people up and, and just enjoying the fact that we are all humans that have one life and we are here on this earth one time. And while we can't change everybody's mind, you have the power to change your mind and you have the power to educate yourself to be a better person, to be a loving person, to be an accept- accepting person, and to be a really, really good human. Thank you all for listening today. Um, this was a really tough podcast for me to record because trying to get people to understand where you're coming from is tough because I don't like to persuade people. I just want you to understand that we as people, as black people are here to make the world a better place, just like you. Always trust and believe in who you are. Trust and believe in your ability to be able to make a change in this world. My name is Sean T and I ain't going nowhere.